Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, smash that subscribe button, mm. tongue-tied, down <laughs> below. Help the channel grow. Let's get the word out. Benny, where can they find us on social media? Yeah, you can find us, Ray Benny Sports. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, also on Discord and Reddit. And leave us a rating on your favorite podcast provider. Today, we got a special guest. As you can see, we have a third window. Uh, the president and CEO of Swaggerville, Javon Johnson. Welcome to Rain Benny. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, man. I'm I'm happy to be on. I'm glad you guys reached out. You know, my ties to Winnipeg run deep, so I'm I'm excited. Yeah, we talked about your times in Winnipeg and how the <laughs> weather is where you're at. Uh, you miss Winnipeg winters? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> you know that that wind up there is brutal. You know, you you got that swirling wind, especially when it's snowing. Uh, Winnipeg is one of those places, man. It's flat as ever, and you yeah. you you could just it feels like you got the the monster on your back. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a good one yesterday. It hasn't been that cold here, but that wind yesterday made it cold. It's it's always the wind that messes things up around here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and you got the wind swirling around in your <clears throat> helmet to make it even better. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's just talk about you. Uh, we know you're a great player uh, in Winnipeg and around the CFL, but tell us about your football journey. How what got you into football? What got you to go to a big university to play ball to to play in Pittsburgh and then to come to Canada. How did it all come together? Oh man. I mean, the journey for me was was I started as a little kid in Erie, Pennsylvania, growing up in a rough environment. Um, quite honestly, I was more into playing basketball than I was football at a young age. But, you know, we always played in the yard. You know, we we played what we called fumble back in the day where you just throw the ball up in the air and when you get it, you gotta try to score. And uh, I think that's where my love for the game really came from. But mm -hmm. I didn't pursue playing in an organized setting until I was in the eighth grade. But basketball was my thing. I was a point guard in basketball, um, you know, did all type of things uh, with the basketball. And then eighth grade, two of my best friends actually um, reached out to me and was like, listen, we need you to to play for our football team. And I'm like, football? I'm like, yeah, I love it, but I don't know if I'm ready to put pads on and get and let people tackle me. Um, so, yeah. you know, ended up encouraging me. They was just kept saying, man, you're good enough. You could do it. Like, just do it. And uh, I ended up joining in the eighth grade. And I ended up coming out for the team. And first day of practice, coach throws me a football. And he's like, Hey, we're gonna put you at quarterback. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and then he's like, Hey, it's just like playing point guard in basketball. I watch you play basketball, you know, how you can distribute the ball and, and score with the ball when you have it. Mm -hmm. Like playing football and playing quarterback is essentially the same thing. He was like, You're gonna give the ball to our great running backs, and sometimes we'll let you keep it and run. I mean, use your ability. And I mean, after a while, uh, Practice got easier, you know, the scheme got easier, started to learn, you know, all the different ins and outs about the game. Um, my eighth grade team ended up going undefeated. So, you know, going forward, I started to say, you know, maybe this might be something that I might want to pursue. Um, but I was still in love with basketball. It was like I could never let the basketball go. Um, so going into high school, I started getting 
a lot of attention from a lot of the high schools in the area. You know, coaches coming to my games, coming to our basketball games, you know, just talking to me. You know, it was my first real taste of recruiting. Mm. Um, and I was kind of like, I didn't know how how to take it, honestly. Like, I thought they were just, like, blowing smoke. I didn't really trust anybody at that time, especially uh, growing up where I grew up. So I didn't, I didn't know if they were for real or if they were, like, just trying to get my skills to use me. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up going to high school where all my friends went, um, you know, and it was one of those schools where, you know, we didn't, we didn't have that much structure, um, predominantly colored, um, you know, just a lot of chaos, you know, fights every day, you know, a lot of different things going on in school. Yeah. I went there for two years. And in those two years, I was the quarterback for the football team. And we like thoroughly got our butts whooped weekly. I mean, we won one game in two years to to just like paint the picture. Yeah. I mean, we were we had all the athletes in the world. If you ever seen our team on paper, we were legit. But as far as like executing and, and the things that it takes to be good at the game of football, we were mm-hmm. not very good at that because guys didn't come to practice. You know, guys just kind of did their own thing. It was just kind of like you know, just showing up and just playing street ball. And, uh, and it showed on game day. Yeah. Um, basketball, though, we were amazing. Like our basketball team was a completely different structure. You know, we were very good in basketball. We went far, far in the playoffs and, you know, we had an a, a amazing basketball team. But my, my guys that actually got me into playing football, they, they went to a prep school in the area mm-hmm. um, and they, they told me to come you know, play with them at the prep school. So after my sophomore year, I ended up transferring to prep school um, and I played there my last two years. It was a completely night and day uh, situation. Discipline, everybody, you know, when there was workouts, you had everybody at workouts in the off season. It was just a completely different atmosphere. Like the buy-in was there. Um, And then my junior year, we went seven and three. And then my senior year, we went undefeated. so it was then that's when I really started to see like recruiting on a whole nother level. Um, you know, like you got these big time coaches coming in, starting to see like personalities, relationships forming and all these different things, seeing coaches like trying to coerce kids to commit to them. And it it was, it was like, uh, it was like a a auction, like a, a a live auction, like who is the best player and, and how can we coerce them to become, part of our our program and it was it was crazy um but you know we got a lot of attention like we we were in and out of class every day uh during the recruiting process sitting with with all these different coaches you know you you hearing some of these schools that you see on tv coming to visit like it was it was a it was a whole different world and uh actually verbally committed to go to kent state and uh the guy that recruited me from Kent State, they wanted me to play both ways. Um, I went there on a visit, and uh, it was a, a great time. I had a great time, uh, and I verbally committed there. But then later in the process, uh, Iowa came in, and the, the DB coach was sat in with a meeting uh, with me and one of my, my teammates, the other corner that played on my team. Yeah. Um, and he was actually recruiting him. 
and they were on them hard. Like they were like pushing for them hard. They they liked them six one, 190 pounds, ran a ten three and a hundred meter dash. I mean, everybody in America was coming in to see the kid. I mean, he was an outstanding player, um, state champion in a hundred and two hundred meter dash. So you know he was getting recruited by everybody. Uh, but Iowa was on him heavy. But his his biggest thing was he's not going there unless they offer his brother too. So he was like trying to get a package deal. And he ended up getting it um, actually out of Wisconsin. So him and his brother went to Wisconsin. Dang. And uh, that day when Iowa was in recruiting him, you know, they were like, um, who's this other kid? Like we see this other kid flashing on the film every every other play. Like who is that guy? And I'm like, hey, that's me. I'm sitting right here. Like, you know, you, you, you don't have to look far to find out who that guy is that's showing up on film all the time. Yeah. And then uh, I had to leave the meeting early, and uh, and I went down to basketball practice. And the DB coach actually stopped in at my basketball practice and asked if I could dunk a basketball and uh, told one of my teammates to toss me a ball. And I took off, dunked the ball, and he walked out. And uh, I was like, well, hey, maybe he wasn't impressed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then the next day they offered me a full scholarship. Nice. Wow. So it was it was it was crazy, like how it all like ended up happening. But at the end of the day, I thought it worked out for the best and uh, ended up at Iowa. Um, it was a no brainer that I was going there once they offered me a scholarship. We had two eerie guys there uh, and Bob Sanders, the great safety out of Iowa and wow. then, uh, Ed Hinkle, who was also a receiver, um, but both played at Cathedral Prep here in Erie. Um, so it was like home away yeah. from home for me. Mm. Um, I was comfortable. Like when I, when I got there over the summer after my senior year, I stayed with Bob, learned the defense, learned, you know, the structure, learned how they did things in the weight room. You know, I really got acclimated very easily because it was, I was comfortable you know, being with guys that I had already knew. Yeah. And then, then from there, everything just kind of took off from there. Like, you know, started as a true freshman, um, made all Big Ten All-American, freshman All-American team. Um, sophomore year, I led the Big Ten in interceptions uh, by corners. Junior year, you know, it just kept going. It, it was just steady on the rise. Um, yeah. And then, you know, after my senior year, I had – amassed 17 total interceptions uh second all-time at iowa history to now kennick who the stadium is named after wow and uh i was i was just another guy like one of my coaches said when we first started recruiting you we, you were a jag and i'm like what is a jag he was like you were just another guy <laughs> and i was like hey well i'm glad i changed that that narrative that you had about me and yeah. uh and from that point forward you know when i went pro um, everybody always questioned my size. Is is he too small? Is he not fast enough? Can he jump high? Like all these different question marks. Mm -hmm. And I would always tell them if my eyes were above my eyebrows, would that make a difference? <laughs> and uh, and they were like, well, look at me. They look at me with this stunned look on their face. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, doesn't matter if I was 6'2 or 5'9, I still get it done on every play. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and then, then in, in my pro career playing in Pittsburgh was amazing. You know, it was an amazing experience, but I I was kind of caught in between a coaching change. Um, you know, I was there my first year with Bill Cower, my second year with Mike Tomlin. So it was, it was like 
you know, caught in between that, mm-hmm. it was a struggle as a free agent guy. You know, you you coaches come in. When a coach leaves, a new coach comes in, he wants his guys, the guys that he brought in, you know, and, and I understood that at a later time in my career. But at that at that moment, you know, I had a big chip on my shoulder because I knew that I was one of the better defensive backs in the room. Yeah. But it was a numbers game. And no matter how I felt or how anybody else in there felt, you know, the coach was going to do what was best for the organization based on what he thought. And uh, and then I was I was waiting and waiting, waiting after I got released. And uh, one of my I had a, actually fired the agent that I had. And then I got a, I hired a new guy and he was like, I got an opportunity for you in Canada. And I'm like, in Canada, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah, he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, one of my uh, one of my general managers from the CFL um, watched your film. He wants to bring you in. And I'm like, I'm like, where? And he and he said, Regina, Saskatchewan. I said, oh, (laughs) hell no. (laughs) I was like, hell no. I'm like, that didn't even sound like a real place. That sounds like somewhere in the North Pole. And uh and he was like, man, you know, just maybe give it a try. I'm like, no. I was like, I'll wait it out. I'll wait yeah. for an NFL team to uh, to sign guys. And I waited three, four weeks. I didn't get anything. And then I came back to him. I'm like, hey, if they're still interested, maybe I'll give this thing a shot and see what happens. And then uh, he contacted them and they were like, yeah, we want to bring them in, you know, and he was like, we want to bring them in to play and this, that, and the third. And I'm like, all right, well, let's let's see what see how this goes. So mm-hmm. I fly into uh into Fargo, North Dakota. And I'm like, I get off the plane and I'm like, where the hell am I? Like, what is going on? Like, I got off a plane and and this little airport that was probably <laughs> like the size of Walmart, and I walk in. They got one terminal. I walk in, grab my bag, walk right out. And I'm like, it was like a matter of two minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, this this is going to be interesting. I got picked up by a host family uh, who drove me from Fargo to Regina, which was probably like six hours. Yeah. It was a, ni- it was a nice drive. And uh, Wow. Did Regina not have like, an airport at this time or what? That's crazy. I mean, I, I don't know. If, I'm pretty sure they did. They, yeah. I mean, they, they haven't changed anything, but I don't know why they flew me in the car room, to be honest. The money. Maybe they were See, probably yeah. is cheaper. They saved some money. Uh, but I, I get into Regina probably about two or three o'clock in the morning, um, get dropped off at a dorm at the University of Regina. And uh, the next morning, show up to practice. And I'm like, okay. You know, get suited and booted, get out there. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm like, all right, you know, I, it's some American guys around here. They speak the same language as me. Like it, it's it's normal. Like I'm <laughs> like, I'm 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 in a place where, you know, I get to know some people, maybe it'll work out. And uh they pissed me off the first week. <laughs> first week, I'm I'm already pissed off. Like I'm I'm they got me on practice squad. I get a I get a, a paycheck for five hundred dollars. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, what is this? So I go into the general manager office and I'm like, what is going on here? Like you yeah. told me you was bringing me here to play. I'm like, this is not gonna pay me enough money to do anything. Like I can't even buy food for the week with five hundred Canadian dollars. And uh, he was like, trust the process. Trust the process. 
So I'm like, you know what? I'll make you play me. Don't even worry. Like, I'm going to make you play me. Yeah. So every day in practice, when they, I'm, I was like, my number one goal in practice was to make them take me off scout team. So if you nice. got me on scout team, you're going to pay. I don't care if you go I'm against the starting receivers. I used to have guys that were like perennial all-stars in Canada. Like, please don't jam me at practice. Like, please, <laughs> like guys like Andy <laughs> Fan Twos, you know, the receivers that, that you guys will probably be like, oh, my God, like th- this kid was yeah. a stud. I yeah. used to have those guys terrified at practice. Like, I practiced so hard that it was like there's no way they're not going to play me. So then they ended up playing me. And I played in one game. But, you know, at that time, I wasn't looking at the bigger picture because they were already winning. And it was like they already had their chemistry. And I was like an outsider coming in. And they didn't want to disrupt what they had going on. So I didn't understand that at the time because of the chip I had on my shoulder. But in hindsight, like after the fact, I started to get it. Um, But I went out there in the first game that I played. I had 10 tackles, forced fumble. I was everywhere. And I was playing the field corner. So it was like, you know, I'm not really getting opportunities, but I'm coming off my man to go tackle other guys. Man, like that's how hungry I am. You never yeah. see the, the time of day where they pay me $500. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so the, then the following week, I, they actually put me on inactive uh, because I only played that, that week because the guy that was uh, playing that position actually got hurt and they played me. Um, but then they put it, he came back off the injury after seeing me play. He was like, I can't let this guy get too many more reps. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, he ended up coming back off the injury and ended up playing. And we went to the great cup that year during the great cup practice, how I ended up in Winnipeg, believe it or not, during a great cup practice, we're in, it's probably negative 20 in, in Regina <laughs> and we're yeah. practicing. and. Like during practice, nobody wants to be out there. So I'm I'm like kind of get trying to get the mood going. And Paul Lapolis tells Kerry Joseph, he's like, if you hit the receiver when he comes out of his break, woo, it's gonna be a big play. And I yeah. mocked him at practice. So like I said it too, <laughs> like in a joking way, like I was like seriously joking. And uh and a couple guys on the team started laughing and and then they called me in the office after practice and was like you know, there's some guys on the team that feel like you haven't, you know, acted like you wanted to be here since you got here. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, Jeez. I'm in the middle of God knows where playing football. When you turn the film on, I'm everywhere. Like, what do you think I'm here for? Like, yeah. I'm here to to play football. Like, I'm not here to watch nobody. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to to do what I need to do and get back down south. And I mean, I think some of that rubbed people the wrong way, um, but that was just who I was coming from where I come from. Like I was always super competitive. Yeah. And then, so fast forward, we win the Grey Cup, but they put me on practice roster. So all the players got eighteen thousand dollars for winning the Grey Cup. I got five hundred dollars. <laughs> Jesus, shoot! <laughs> wow. In hindsight, in hindsight, I mean, yes, it was great that we won the Grey Cup. The greatest thing that could have ever happened to my career was the fact that they put me on practice roster. Because mm. in 2008, like in the offseason, Winnipeg called and they were like, hey, uh, you know, we want to sign you. 
Um, with you being on the practice roster in Saskatchewan, you know, that makes your contract null and void. We can bring you to Winnipeg, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I get a, a new environment, you know, new coaches, new players, new everything. Like, everybody's going to have to see, like, I'm, I'm going to get a fair opportunity. So go to Winnipeg in 2008, training camp. I probably intercepted the ball at least 50 times in two weeks. Yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. Without a doubt. There were days where I would have like four or five interceptions in a day. And it was just ridiculous. And then I ended up uh, beating out a veteran guy. Um, and then I played with some outstanding veterans like Kelly Malbro and, and those guys. They were, they were amazing. But they yeah. embraced me. It was like no hard feelings. You know, they understood that I had a chip on my shoulder. Like they embraced that though. And it was, it was yeah. a completely different atmosphere. Um, so then but, with that, with that, if I can jump in a second, mm -hmm. you know, you've been, you've been talking about how uh, people discounted you because of your size, having a chip yeah. on your shoulder, making some yeah. noise in practice, being the energy maker. Like I'm going to jump more into your Winnipeg playing time. Is that kind of where the popular Swaggerville came from? Is that where that attitude came from to establish Swaggerville and how did that bleed into Winnipeg culture and how did you establish that uh, when you were here? I mean, I think part of it was um, in 2009. So 2008, we had, we had, we had a fairly decent year. We ended up going to the playoffs. We lost in the playoff in the first round to Edmonton um, mm. at Winnipeg. Um, they were a good team, but we probably still should, we didn't play the best, but in 2009 is where, Swaggerville actually started to evolve. Um, you know, it was the first time that I, I was paired up with guys like Jonathan Hefney. Um, we had Ike Charlton at Sam. Oh. We had Keo Craver um, at the other corner. And then we had Lenny Walls, the long field halfback. Like, we were, I mean, we were dynamic in the secondary. Like, our the talent level across the board was amazing. And, that, like, we just formed a bond in the meeting room where, you know, every day we were like challenging each other, who's going to have more, the most interceptions, who's going to do this, who's going to do that. Like that was the way we kind of operated. And then we always would say like, we play with tremendous swag. So like everybody, you know, would just say swag every time we made a play is be like, that's that swag. Like yeah. if you, if you knew like the guys, it, it started out just being just the secondary guys. Cause like, that was our model. Like we're going to play with swag. Like let's go out here and play with swag, take over the game and dominate. And uh, that's where, that's where it all started. And then 2010 kind of, it kind of got reformed. It, it wasn't until 2011 that it really came to life, but yeah. 2010 was like the really the becoming of it because we went from, veteran guys that had been around that were like probably a little bit past their prime besides me and Jonathan Hefney to yeah. Clint Kent, Alex Suber, Brandon Stewart, me and Jonathan Hefney. And then Ian Logan, like we were all young. Like we were like young, wild yeah. and hungry. Like hungry. it was like hungry dogs. Like every, every day the competition. And then we, we had guys like Odell Willis and Phillip Hunt at DN. We had Joe Lobendon and those guys. Defensively, 
like we were amazing. <laughs> like it yeah. was it was unfair. We like, remember it was just like yeah, it was unfair, man. And I mean, that's when we started to to come into that whole Swaggerville thing where yeah, you know, we 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 were like, if they're coming to Winnipeg, they're coming to Swaggerville. Like that's just what it was gonna be. If you come here. Every every t- everywhere you look, you're gonna hear about it. You're gonna know about it, and we're gonna dominate. And that's just the way it was. Yeah. I mean, we didn't we didn't we like as a defense, we never once wanted to rely on our offense to win the game. Like it didn't matter if an offense scored fifty or one point, we felt like we were gonna win. Yeah. So Absolutely. like that was it, it became contagious, and and kind of the media really kind of drove it. Like they they learned about it. Uh, through us always saying it after getting like an interception or something and they put the camera on us and we'd be like swag 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 yeah and uh once they learned about it they really pushed it and then that's where it became like kind of what it what what it became so like you also mentioned 2011 mm-hmm. um we didn't we didn't mention this earlier on but 2011 was your year defensive mm-hmm. player of the year did you know going into camp that this was going to be that kind of year for you? Or was it something that, you know, you, it, it, I don't know. Is that, it's like, can you feel that in camp being like, oh yeah, this is not, not I'm saying like this is defensive player of the year year, but this is my year. Can you feel that? I mean, I've felt like that every year, but, <laughs> but I mean, and I think really the, the thing for me in 2010, we had a, we had a very good team, but we didn't know how to win. I mean, we were young and wild. Like I said, we were like hungry wild dogs, but like we didn't know how to win. We lost, I think it was nine games by like three points or less or something like that. Something really crazy. Mm-hmm. So I I knew going into 2011 that we will be so much better. Like with just having the extra year of building continuity and chemistry and, and you know, just being able to play with each other. Um, I knew we would be way better, but um, I thought, 2011 I was like this is the time where we're going to win the championship for Winnipeg and go out there and, and put on for the city mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't even think twice of, about defensive player of the year that never crossed my mind um, but you know when you got guys like Jonathan Hefney and, and Odell Willis who I thought had better years than I did and then you know people would tell me like the year that I had was crazy but I thought yeah. the years that they had were crazy. So it was like, you know, we had multiple guys on our defense that could have easily won that award. And I just happened to be more of the fan favorite, uh, probably because of my ability to return kicks, um, which yeah. gave me a little bit of an edge over those guys. Because I was named uh, that year, I was named the team's most outstanding player the team's most outstanding defensive player and the team's most outstanding special teams player. So, you know, maybe that kind of pushed it a little bit and, yeah. uh, and I, it became real. Even, even at the, uh, the award ceremony, I still wasn't sure I was going to win. Like Jarrell Freeman, he had some crazy stats, like his numbers were ridiculous, but you know, in retrospect, he was on the field way more than I was and mm-hmm. their defense were, was nothing in comparison to where we were as a team. Yeah. Well, yeah, that 2011 team was basically carried by that D you know, I was just looking at the stats of it and you guys had given up as many points as the offense had scored. I think it was 432. So obviously the D was a big <laughs> factor in getting to that great cup even so. 
Yeah, I mean, we we played inspired. I thought down the stretch with with Coach Harris passing away and and things like we we just kind of we started out the gate extremely hot. Um, I think we started out the year seven and one, mm-hmm. yeah. and then we kind of tailed off in the middle of the year uh, where you know a lot of things happened. You know, injuries happen, bodies start getting banged up. Uh, but once we started getting guys back, we got back on that on that track to to get to the Great Cup. We dominated in the playoff game, um, and then once we got to the Great Cup, it was anybody's ball game. I mean, if we could have just scored some points, we would have had a chance. Yeah, you know. But you know, at the end of the day, that we live and die by playing great defense and. If we don't give up the scores, we win the game. So, I mean, we still take the blame for it. Yeah. So after that season, uh, I mean, we know how it ended up. Going into 2012, you know, you still got a very veteran kind of roster. But the only thing issue is now the delay to the stadium. So you're starting four games on the road instead. Did that kind of derail that whole stadium? Because Lapo ended up getting fired also that year. Um, Like, did it start out on high and just quickly derailed quickly for you guys? Or... I mean, I think I think it it started to derail in the off season, you know, with with the release of Jonathan Hefney, um, mm. you know, the trade away Clint Kent to Edmonton. I mean, we lose essentially two of our top defenders, and and then I think uh, even Odell Willis, I believe, got traded, and Philip Hunt went to the Philadelphia Eagles. Right, so I mean, yeah. we lose some amazing players. I mean, and, and going into 2012, I actually re-signed a new contract, and I was told in the offseason that everybody would be returning. The same unit defensively will return because that was my sole reason for saying, you know what, I'm going to stake it out in Winnipeg instead of pursuing all these NFL opportunities I had. Yeah. Um, I was like, you know, if they're not going to pay me money up front, I'm going to stay in Winnipeg, and we're going to win the championship for multiple years. And then I re-signed, and people don't know, I re-signed for less. And they ended up getting rid of the guys that I wanted to go to war with, which was kind of a slap in the face. And that was Joe Mack's tenure as the general manager. Yeah. And then, you know, Paul LaFelice gets fired. And, you know, it was just, it was a snowball effect in 2012. Yeah. We, yeah. uh... We don't usually use that name around these parts, brother. <laughs> just, yeah, I, just to I let you know, <laughs> I'm totally honest with you. We don't use that name. Oh my goodness! So uh, we yeah, feel you. We feel you. Dumpster fire, man. That was the worst. That was the worst hiring as a general manager in the history of Winnipeg football. Yeah, I mean, we we don't know. We just know the stuff that's on the outside. We don't know the stuff behind closed doors, obviously, and, uh, and, that, was, and that's one of them. Brutal. And and as as you're telling that story, I'm like, oh, that sounds like classic Joe Mack right there. Just to do that to someone, stab them in the back. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was brutal, man. I I I to this day, like I demise. Like I was just talking to Clint Kent the other day, and and we were talking about our time in Winnipeg and and how good of a team we had, and how they like really like dismantled our defense. Like, and I was just like, you know what? It's crazy to think about because what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Like defensively, we resembled exactly who they are now back then, but they have a much better offense. If they took the time 
to invest in our offense like like we had on defense, we would have won multiple great cups back then. So it wouldn't be considered a dynasty right now or what they're building right now. We would have been had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could easily build off that know. 2011 D and build into some offense going into 2012. Yeah, for sure. Jeez. Uh, That's so disappointing. <laughs> yeah. And from the outside, it just seemed like that dude didn't appreciate not just the talent that he had, but the contributions as individuals that builds the team uh, and, mm-hmm. and the reason why y'all were so dominant and y'all built Swaggerville, he didn't appreciate that, we felt. He felt that he had some reach in the NFL or some reach in the States where you can just bring in anyone. So Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a different game. I tell people all the time, Canada is a different ball game. And yeah. that uh, the people, and, and a lot of times people get discredited for thinking like that people in Canada can't play. And I'm like, like, guys, you got to understand, like, all of these guys at some point had a stint in the NFL. Like, they were fantastic college players. Like, these guys aren't just like some Joe Schmoes off the street. Like, they can ball. Yeah. And you see NFL guys that go up there and they think that they're they're really cocky when they come in. And then they get exposed and they, they can't cut it. And then people wonder why. And I'm like, you got to understand, like, these guys aren't just playing against anybody. Like, and then... You know, to hear guys like Ocho Cinco say, you know, that he had that mentality coming in the CFL and then seeing like and thinking to himself, like, man, these dudes can really play like that yeah. is a testament to the league and the talent that they have up there for the guys that's playing. Like it's it's really, you know, it's nut cucking time when you get out there on that field. It ain't going to be like taking no plays off. Yeah. So speaking along that lines, who was the toughest QB or wide receiver or offense uh, that you've basically faced in the CFL? Man, hmm. you know, uh, honestly, I think the the Montreal teams with Anthony Calvillo, hmm. um, they were always <laughs> they were always good as ever. Like they had so many good players all around yeah. that it was just you know they were hard to defend. You know, with the SJ Greens and. Jamel Richardson's and you know you had uh the the guy that played in the boundary the receiver Ben Cahoon Ben Cahoon um yeah. you know you, they had you know Adrian Claiborne <laughs> I mean, they, they had they had they had guys and then on defensive side of the ball they had guys they were they were a complete team yeah. um they were probably the one of the toughest you know Henry Burris with Kenyon Rambo and those guys oh, Calgary Nick Lewis I mean shoot Playing in the West, like us in Winnipeg, when we we were in the East at the time, so it was a little bit easier. But playing in the West would have been crazy. You know, you had BC with with Dante Marsh and Corey no. Banks and and all those guys. Like, I mean, it was it was some teams that would make you scratch your head and be like, "Yo, how yeah. are we gonna win this game? Like, we got to figure this out now." Yeah, those are some tough teams, especially in the West, there for sure. Yeah, uh, but I, I mean, it was it was some good ones. It, we played against some good ones. Montreal, oh, they're such a pain <laughs> in the uh, for Winnipeg fans for so long. I can't even <laughs> imagine having to watch film and figure that dude out. Like one of the greatest passers in professional football. That's insane. And and it was it was he was like Tom Brady. It was like it was nothing fancy about him, but yeah. he just always got it done. Like. You know, he had like this elongated release, like threw the ball really like it was crazy. Once yeah. I once I started to to figure out how to maneuver against him, 
I ended up getting a few interceptions on him. It was like being like Ed Reed, like you're playing against somebody like Peyton Manning and like you got to just figure it out. Sometimes you got to mm-hmm. take a chance. And I started taking chances and then I started picking them off. We had like a, a highlight film that we made. Ray and Benny made it. So check it out. It's on YouTube. Uh, and actually, you got a pick on Anthony Calvillo on like a last second throw. And the pick was great. Like you went up, probably your basketball right there, dunking the ball. You went <laughs> up and you picked it out of the air. But back to Anthony Calvillo, he doesn't look like an athlete, but I think Odell <laughs> stunted into the middle. He saw Odell coming, sidestepped him, and then you know, stepped up in the pocket between two defenders to launch that ball yeah. to the goal line. Like that dude could ball. Man, he was he was different, man. Like yeah, I don't know. He it was some he had some like Tom Brady-ish ways about him. Totally. Like it was just crazy to watch. Like it didn't look like he was very athletic at all. Yeah, but he got it done. Well, let's move to uh some fan questions, Benet. Yeah, we got uh we asked some uh on social media, uh, some other fans to throw out some questions for you. So we got one here from Hadley. Uh favorite bomber CFL memory. Probably uh, favorite memory, the game against BC um, at at Canada Stadium, where uh, we we go, we're down, we come back, uh, they punt or yeah, they punt the ball to me, yeah, um, down three with like a minute, maybe a minute, fifty seconds left. And I return it to like the 35 yard line on the other side of the field. We kick a field goal, go to overtime. And then in overtime, Deion Beasley picks sixes the yeah. ball and goes yard. And we win the game. Like a phenomenal way to win the football game. Like crazy. That, that was, was probably insane. that's probably the best moment I had in, in Winnipeg, like as a player. Like I had that was the most lit experience <laughs> we had as a team. So, so building off that, one of the next or one of the other questions was from David, uh, and he said, "What was your greatest football comeback as a player?" Uh, and he actually mentions that game in his tweet as well. So, would you classify that one as your greatest comeback in a game? Or yeah, was that, that was that was the greatest comeback for sure. <laughs> yeah, like, that yeah. was like that was like yeah, we're down, and I'm like I have the ability to impact this game. They punt the ball when they punted the ball. I, I didn't feel the ball until like. 10 yard line like so I had to go yard to be able to get in position to even get the ball even remotely close to kicking a field goal I thought I was going to score a touchdown and send them home packing you know on that on that return but you know I ran out of gas but then (laughs) you know kick kick the field goal and and over time I was like this is our game like we're gonna win this game and then, sure enough, Dion Beasley picked sixes that I was like, oh, my nice. God. Just <laughs> walk off. Walk off. That's awesome. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, we got another one from Judy, and this maybe might be the same thing, but it's like, what what do you consider your most memorable experience of your career? So not, maybe not just with the Bombers or at any point in the CFL or college or anytime. In my football career, um, just you – know, I would there, there's a few – um, playing for Bill Cower was a highlight. Um, he was one of the most down to earth coaches I ever had, you know, a guy that really had, he really like pushed me to be great every day. And mm-hmm. it was like, he, he, he showed me on a consistent basis that he trusted me as a player. Like, you know, he would call me in the office and say things to me like, uh, you know, 
we're playing against Reggie Bush this week. I want you to play Reggie Bush in practice because I think you have the skill set to do the type of things in practice that he can do on the field. Like yeah. things like that. Like, you know, when the coach tells you they think you can play Reggie Bush, who I think is probably the most electrifying college football player of all time. Yeah. Oh, if yeah. you think I have the skill set to go emulate him in practice, I like you. Like, cause that is a big compliment. You know, nice. but it was it was other weeks like we play Ward Dunn and it'd be the same thing. Like he like, I want you to go, you know, <laughs> do the things that he does in practice. And it was it was like guys like that, you know, those were memorable moments. Uh, but I think just the hype in, in 2011, the Swaggerville, you know, whole the whole season was just lit. That was like mm. a highlight for me, winning defensive player of the year. Um, but I think a lot of it is when you hit rock bottom, how you respond. Um, leaving Winnipeg was a rough time for me. Like, it was like I didn't know what was going to happen going forward. You know, for them to call me and leave me a voicemail to tell me they weren't going to resign me, that was kind of like a slap in the face. So it was like I was bitter, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it made that chip on my shoulder come back 10 times more. And then going to Ottawa and then that first – that expansion year when they came back into the league, we went two and 16. Mm-hmm. Like that was like one of those moments where you like, is football really like something that I want to continue to do? Like you can't, it's two and 16. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah. But then the following year, you know, we go to the great cup. I mean, you bring in guys on offense, like we should have did in Winnipeg, but defensively we were pretty good. Offensively, we needed more weapons. They went out and got Chris Williams, Ernest Jackson, you know, Brad Sinopoli and, and Greg Ellingson and all these top dogs at yeah. receiver. And then our team went from bad to the best in the league, one of the best in the league. And, yeah. you know, we probably should have won the great cup that year. But, you know, I mean, the memories run deep, you know, and one of the things that I hated the most was, you know, those those times where we had to talk about the CBA and, you know, all of that crap. Like, I wish they could just figure it out where the, that the young guys don't ever have to go through that mm-hmm. um, because the veteran guys, you know, they, they push for deals that are benefiting them and not thinking about the future of the league, you know, and I, going through that process really opened my eyes up about what guys really thought and what guys really wanted. Because I, I think that year in Ottawa where we, we had the CBA, we should have sat out. And uh, but that gratification bonus or ratification bonus or whatever the hell they call it, mm-hmm. you know, it was like give the veteran players eight thousand dollars or or however many thousands of dollars of based on how many years they play, and then that'll get them to sign this deal. Like that was like one of those tactics where you know you just basically holding cheese in front of a, a mouse and <laughs> and they're gonna chase it. Like, yeah. but the the younger players didn't benefit from that at all. It was like. We we doing this for the veterans, but the younger players are getting screwed. So mm. like, just I wish they had more equity uh, in regards to that, and guys that actually really thought about what they were signing before they signed it. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got one more here from John. So, who was the best trash talker? Could be in, you know on your own team or another team <laughs> um, that you played against, uh, but could actually back it up. <laughs> Uh, that I played against. Um, played against or even in practice, someone from any of your teams even. 
or wherever. Well, Jonathan, Jonathan Hefner was by far the best trash talker ever. Like he he never stopped. Like that was like that was nonstop. Him and Odell Willis both like they yeah. never shut up. Oh my gosh. But, but but on another team, I would I would say uh Nick Lewis was a was a good trash talker. He was he was big for that. Um Emmanuel Arsenal was good for that. Like yeah. you know, guys that was that was talking but would back it up. Um, you know, there was there was some guys. Most of the defensive guys were the talkers though, and I was always on the other side. So I didn't I never got to play against them. But <laughs> offensive guys, when they talk, you know, sometimes when you start head hunting them, they won't they won't say too much. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh just uh we, we talked about, you know, players coming to Canada. Uh what's the motivation? How, how would you market this game to to players? to come to Canada and even to new fans. What's, you know, what's, what's a great thing about the CFL you think you'd say? Um, I, you, it's a place where you, where you, you can be yourself. Um, you know, you can, you can not feel like you're such a celebrity where you can't live life the way you want to live. Um, you know, people are down to earth. The country's extremely clean. Um, mm. You know, you can have a good time without having to worry about violence and, and, you know, all of that stuff, um, although it, it does happen, but on a much lower scale than America, mm. um, you know, you could go home and sleep well at night and wake up and go to work and and not have not have to worry about nothing. But you can play a, a great brand of football uh, with guys that are like minded that want to get after it um, and guys that are trying to make it and make a name for themselves. I mean, I think the game is is, you know, on the on the same level as the NFL, the only difference between the two is that the NFL is backed by millions and millions and millions of dollars of revenue from TV and all Mm -hmm. these different sponsors and all of that stuff where Canada doesn't have as much of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge Steeler fan, so you don't know how badly I want to talk Steelers with you right now, but we'll save that for another time. And, and you know, you talk about, attitudes and defense the swaggerville defense very much reminded me of that ike taylor ryan clark steeler defense where y'all just mm-hmm. held the team up and y'all even scored points for the team uh so oh, that defense was amazing so shout out to y'all man, that was a great that that those guys man being in the locker room with those guys on defense you know they really changed the mentality of, of what guys believed in when they took the field like you know playing with Ike Taylor and Ryan Clark and Troy Polamalu and, you know, Deshae Townsend and Brian McFadden. Mm-hmm. Like our room, our room, our DB room was so legit that it was like, you know, any, you could put a, any combination of guys on the field and they would get it done. Like yeah. it was, it was amazing just to be a part of. Um, and those guys, the way they communicate was like top notch and next level. So you 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 weren't really seeing those defenses give up big plays because of their ability to communicate, and I mean their athletic skills was off the charts. But you mm-hmm. know it was it was a it was a great team to be a part of, and the Rooneys do a hell of a job of running such an amazing organization, and that's yeah. why they won consistently for a long time, and they only had coaches there. You know, in the past 50 years, they only had three coaches where there's some teams that have had three coaches in the last 10 years. Yeah. Or in the last two years, even. Yeah. 
Raiders. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That, so yeah, they, gonna... they, they keep a good foundation. You're going to get me started, I'm telling you, with Mike <laughs> Tomlin right now and talking about coaches. But uh, I, we can't thank you all enough for joining us. You know, we enjoyed watching you play in both buildings. The memories the, the, that you left Winnipeg. I, I, I'm going to thank you on behalf of Winnipeg for, for the, what you left on the field because you, you're one of the best defensive players that we've seen play in a long time. Yeah. yeah, it was fun to watch. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Before we let you go, though, uh, we do five shots, five quick shots with every guest. I'm going to ask you five questions. Give us the answer. The first answer that comes to mind. Don't worry. They're not dirty. We're not going to get you in trouble. It's all good. It's all safe. So uh, here we go before we let you go. Quick shots. Favorite city to play in as a visitor? Montreal. Least favorite city to play in as a visitor? Regina. Funniest teammate? <laughs> Jonathan Epley. Nice. <laughs> First teammate you want to have your back in a fight in a back alley? Doug Brown. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shout out. Wildest college environment that you played in, either a bowl game or a stadium? Miami, the Orange Bowl. Oh, my gosh. Right on. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, the memories that you, that you left us, the amazing play. Uh, we'd love to have you back again. Uh, next football season or whenever you can make it. So, <laughs> yes, <sir. laughs> and if yes, you ever sir. visit Winnipeg, Section One Twelve, we'll have some beers for you there, and we'll enjoy the game from our section as well. Absolutely. All right, Benny. You have Tell anything? Them to they s- got to get me in the Ring of Honor, man. Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, you playing that Ring of Honor? Okay, okay. Yeah. I need to be in the Ring of Honor. Like, yeah. Well, the numbers yeah, are agree, there. I agree on that one. Yeah, the play was there. Uh, you're a leader on the team, so shoot. We're going to start that campaign, are we? Is that <laughs> yeah. what's going on now? Yeah. All right. All right. Hall, we, Hall of Fame, too, or what? Yeah. You can get behind that. Hey, man, I I, I ain't in charge of that. But I ain't going to say no. You know, yeah. some, somebody said, I heard through a little birdie that I got to get nominated for the Hall of Fame, like by somebody. So, hey, okay. just putting yeah. that out there. Let's, see how that, let's figure out how that works. Yeah, do your job. The numbers don't lie. Yeah, the tape is sure. there, they so they don't lie. Don't yeah. lie. Numbers don't lie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Benny, you have anything to say to our friends? Uh, just thank you very much, Javon, for joining us. Uh, like like Ray said, it was a pleasure and honor watching you on the field. Uh, some great memories you left behind for us. So uh, thanks again. And everyone, thanks a lot for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, mm-hmm. leave comments, leave some love for Javon Johnson. And in the, and in the words of Ed Whalen, in the meantime, in the between time, that's it. Another edition of Ray and Benny Talk Sports. Hey, friends and neighbors, don't forget to check us out online on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Ray Denny Sports. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel. Leave a like, leave a comment, tell us what you think.